familiar story, of course, but let's not let familiarity breed contempt. Sometimes when stories are familiar, we skip through it, feeling we know it. And sometimes that causes us to miss things that we need to know, really. So 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah, and camped between Sokoth and Azkenah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. The story of David and Goliath, of course, is one of the most evocative stories, particularly in the Old Testament. And it has got the ingredients of a modern-day movie. Uh, because you've got the arch-villain, Goliath of Gath. And then you've got the superhero, David. You've also got, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, a large panoramic-scale Battle set in array in the Valley of Elah with two great opposing armies on either side. And then you have, of course, this sense of, of threat and intimidation uh, because of the threatening giant who stands morning and evening for 40 days. You also have Saul, uh, who is the king who is failing and he, his reign, is, I suppose, is, is in the death throes, as it were. And then he's leading an army that is absolutely paralyzed with fear. Then enters David, who is an unlikely hero, a shepherd, not a soldier. And now the dramatic scene begins to unfold. Good versus evil, light versus darkness, Goliath of Gath, uh, versus this little boy from the backwoods. Much is at stake. In fact, the very life and soul of a nation is at stake. The honor of God and the name of God is on the line also. And so let's have a look at this story again with fresh eyes. The first thing we want to notice is that the forces of this world are always, ever going to be set in array against uh, the people of God. The battle lines are always clearly drawn. Everything that is righteous and holy and wholesome and good and right is always being opposed. The battle is on continually. It's on in schools, universities, and places of higher education. The battle rages in the arts and the media and in the movies even within our government, within the judiciary, within our educational systems and science, all over, the battle rages continually. There's always going to be opposing forces. And we see here this battle set in array. In the next couple of verses, in verse 4, it says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cupids in a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 
And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come up out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and kill me. Then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. So here is this monster of a man, six cubits in a span, somewhere between nine and ten feet tall. Can you imagine him standing out in the valley and the sun glinting off his bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail and his sheaves of bronze on his legs and his bronze javelin? It must have been a fearsome sight to see and behold. And it was because the army was paralyzed at the very sight of him. There are giants in the land today. There are giants in the world today and they are fearsome and they are intimidating and they are threatening. They're threatening lives. They're threatening the church. I'm thinking about giants like the giant of Islam. The giant of Islam who's cast a shadow over so many nations of the world today whose great desire of their fundamentalist jihadists is to destroy Christianity and to destroy Judaism and they continually threaten and they have their suicide bombers with a false promise of paradise who blast people into eternity, men, women and children who are innocent of anything and they strut and they posture on the world stage today. We've got the giant of homosexuality. And what a giant it is today. What influence it has over governments to the place where our own prime minister, in order to placate it, is trying to redefine the God-given ideal of marriage almost to the cost of his own political party such as the influence and the power where there's vast numbers who will parade themselves in the cities of the world with pride. What a giant we face today. Giant of consumerism with its open all hours, seven day a week mentality. And it has not impacted society for the good. Even trades unions are despairing at the hours that their workers has got to do. Did you notice how they're trying to slip it in through the back door because of the Olympics coming to London, open all hours, and they say, well, it's only be for a given period. Who do they think they're kidding? They're not kidding anybody. They're not kidding the trades unions because they don't believe it. They believe that's just the thin end of a very big wedge. So it'll be 24-7 uh, consumerism. Then there's a giant of secularism. 
secularism where there's no place for God, there's no time for God, there's no use for God. You know, a nation that's dominated by secularism finds that the church is marginalized and spirituality is trivialized. Where children grow up with no concept of God and no concept of the word of God. On our country, I say our country, I'm talking about GB and in fact, I should be talking about the whole of Western society has increasingly become secularized. And it's a giant. And it's threatening. And laws are being changed and demanded. And then its twin brother, of course, is the giant of humanism. Where man is his own God. Where the preferred option is to believe that man is his own Lord and Master. Where man is promoted above God. And anything that's godly. The giant of humanism. The giant of Darwinism. Lots of giants. Who would have ever thought that the writings of a 19th century naturalist would have so influenced science and education to this day that any Christian scientist who wants to write a paper about creation risk losing their job, their livelihood, their reputation, everything. Who would have thought that the writings in the 19th century, <laughs> who would have thought that that would have affected so much today in the great fields of science and education? But there you have it. The giant of hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure above all things. Where pleasure and entertainment and leisure is king. As the scriptures say, eat, live, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. A giant of hedonism that fills the industry of entertainment around the world today in movies. So there are many, many, many giants that have got to be faced today. But thank God, God is raising up a generation, a David generation. A generation who is tired of the threats and the intimidation of the giants to see around them and who are prepared to stand up and say so. And the church is looking for people, looking for men and women who will speak the truth no matter what the cost. And the cost is going to become increasingly great. And we need a generation. We need it in the classrooms. We need it in the lecture rooms. We need it in our universities. We need it in our colleges. We need it in arts. We need it in sciences. We need it in broadcasting. We need it in parliament. We need it in government. We need it in our society. And God is raising up voices. Paul says, If the trumpet shall give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? And you look at the state of the church around the country of the Western world, where are the voices that are being raised up today? Look at the Church of England. How many voices are there in the Church of England that's raised up against this? Now this story is a story on two levels. Of course, there are all those national giants and global giants. But what about on a personal level? Is there a giant that's casting a dark, long shadow in your life on a personal level? 
maybe a giant of sickness, maybe a giant of a family crisis, a giant of a financial reversal, a giant of a terrible habit, giant of depression, giant of oppression, giant of fear, despair, inferiority, sin, hidden sin, all kinds of giants want to rise up in our lives and threaten us, intimidate us, make us feel that we can't make it, that we're no good, that we can't do this. But with God's help, we can conquer our giants. Listen to the taunts of the giant. Listen to his taunts. Out there every day, waving his ugly fist at the people of God and saying, come on, bring out a man against me. (laughs) And if you defeat me, I'll be your servant. But he felt very confident that he'd be able to beat you and you'll be my servant. That's what he was really thinking. And so our personal giants will intimidate us. They will talk to us continually in your ear all day. And this is what he did. So far he hasn't struck a blow. So far he hasn't done a thing. So far he hasn't taken a sword out of his sheath. All he is doing is talking, intimidating with his words, his suggestions. And I find many times that's all the devil's got to do is just talk to us and threaten us and intimidate us. And that's what he did against the armies of Israel. And they bought it. And they believed it. And they were absolutely paralyzed with fear every day for 40 days. But then God raises up a David generation. Look at verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, His name was Jesse, who had eight sons. The man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And so here's David. The Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then David said to Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. They saw and they all and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And so we see here a David generation are not always prominent. Often they are hidden away looking after their little flock until their hour arrives. And he may be the youngest. He may be the least in his father's household. But God had a great victory for him to win. And he may be overlooked But he's going to be an overcomer. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we feel very small. 
insignificant. Who are we? What are we? But God has got us, He's going to give us great victories. We're going to overcome our giants in the name of the Lord. Big doors swing on small hinges, do they not? And so for 40 days, the giant is out. 40 days, 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Giant tested them for 40 days. Jesus was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and he was tested of the devil. Israel were 40 years in the wilderness and morning and evening at the time of the prayers where the Jews would pray, publicly pray, where the armies would pray in the morning and they would pray in the evening. And that's the two times when the giant come out. When they'd be praying, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And only him shall we serve. And while they were praying those prayers, that's when the giant came out to intimidate. When you're trying to get close to the Lord, and you're trying to hang on to God, and you're praying, and you're seeking the Lord, that's when the enemy will intimidate you the most. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to seek the Lord. And so at those two times, morning and evening, he comes out to intimidate. Now, of course, David in the Old Testament is often described as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus was David's greater son, was he not? And of course, if he's a type of Christ, then he must be about his father's business. And if he's a type of Christ, then he must come to the help of his brethren. And that's the two things that David did and was doing. He was about his father's business. He was looking after the sheep. And he came to the help of his brethren. Verses 23 of the story. Well, let me read in verse 20. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse has commanded him. He came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. And there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him. And they were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And so here is David and he comes up. And notice here that David heard the words of the giant. He heard the words of the giant. Now Jesus said two things. He says, take heed what you hear, but he said, take heed how you hear. 
how you hear is vitally important. Now, if you forget everything I said today, do not forget this. Because this is the heart. This is the key, oftentimes, of winning the battle against our giants. Remember the giants. The giants said the same things every time he came out. And all Israel heard it. David comes out for the first time, hears it for the first time, hears the exact same things that all the armies of Israel are hearing for days. And he hears the same thing. But how he heard it was different. Listen, all the giants that we face are common to all. Common to all. And they all say the same things. They all say, you're going to be defeated. You can't make it. You're too small. You're not strong enough. You haven't got the right weapons. They'll all say the same thing to you as they say to me. No different. But how you hear it makes the difference. And while Israel heard, and here's what they said, he has come out to defy the armies of Israel. And that's what he said. But what David heard was, he came out to defy the armies of the God of Israel. And there's a difference. When David heard this, he said, he's defying God. All they thought, he's defying us. David said, no, he's defying God. The God of the armies of Israel. And therein makes a big difference to what you hear. Listen, when Satan comes against you, he's coming against God. He knows he can't take God on, but he's going to take on God's children. When he comes against the servant of the Lord, he's coming against the Lord of the servant. Did you get that? And if you remember that, it makes a difference. Remember what Goliath was trying to do. Send out a man among you. Make this personal, just between you and me. It's a personal fight between you and me, David. says, no, it's not. You're defying the armies of God. David brought God into the equation. And that's what made the difference. And if any one of the armies of Israel had brought God into the equation, it would have made the difference too, but they didn't. Because the intimidation of the giant was making it personal. And once you allow it to become personal, you're in trouble. Because the devil's too big for you, personally. He's too strong for you, personally. But we enter just God. And you say, you're coming against me. No, you're coming against the God of heaven. That's who you're coming against. Because I'm a child of the God of heaven. And once you begin to see that, it's going to make a difference to you. Great victories bring great reward. Listen to what David said. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. David says, what's going to happen to the man that kills him? Tell me again. Let me just make sure I got this right. 
I, I get the king's daughter. What, what, else, what, what else did you say there? He was interested. You've got to look beyond the battle. See the reward of winning this battle. And you're going to win this battle. You'll fight your giant and you'll beat your giant if you realize he's coming against the God of heaven, the living God that lives within you by his Holy Spirit. But there's more here. Verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was roused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? See how disparaging he was and condescending? Those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. No, he didn't know his heart at all. It was his own brother and he did not know his heart. Completely and totally misunderstood what David was even thinking. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Have I not the right to inquire? Have I not the right to make mention of this uncircumcised Philistine? Is there not a cause? Do you not see there's a cause here? David was thinking of the reproach of Israel. He was thinking of the name of God. He was thinking of God's honor here. He said the same. Then he turned from toward another and said the same thing. And all the, these people answered him as the first ones did. The Bible says that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own siblings did not believe in him at all until the resurrection. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine all those 33 years growing up and they never once understood his heart, never once knew his motives. We need to be careful of trying to understand people's motives because sometimes we get it terribly wrong, don't we? And so, when David's greater son came, they didn't recognize him. Family didn't recognize him. The nation didn't recognize him. They didn't see him as the anointed one, as their deliverer. They didn't see him other than, is not this the carpenter's son? We know who he is. <laughs> no, they didn't know who he was. David says, what have I done? Jesus says, what works do you condemn me for? You're accusing me, but why? What have I done terribly wrong that you should accuse me? The David generation will very often be misunderstood when they take on their giant, their motivation, their desire, their intensity to win will come into question. But David was absolutely confident he could slay this giant. He didn't have a doubt in the world that he could slay the giant. Let's read on a little bit more. 
Verse 31, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after him, struck him, delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head. He clothed him also with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. <laughs> David said, I have killed a lion and a bear. The lion and the bear are quite different. The lion and the bear stalks its prey differently. It attacks differently. It kills differently. When a lion attacks its prey, it will go for its neck and its head as quick as it can to kill it, to neutralize it. And then it will spend all day eating it. The bear will attack and it'll eat its victim alive or dead. In fact, it doesn't matter how much the victim screams. If the bear is eating his feet or his leg or his thigh or his belly, he'll keep eating. Sorry to be so gruesome near lunchtime, but that's what they'll do because they're very different. And what you'll find is that your problems are very different. They will attack you in different ways. At different times, they will stalk you. Some will creep up on you. Some will jump out at you. <laughs> like a bear does, out of the bushes. But David said, nevertheless, he says, I killed the lion, and I killed the bear, and I can kill this uncircumcised Philistine. See, it's Spurgeon says, they were all beasts to him anyway. <laughs> and they were. What about you? What about the lion and the bear that you killed in the past? Ah, you'd forgotten about that, hadn't you? Isn't it amazing? Whenever we face a trial, a difficulty, a problem, a giant, isn't it amazing at that moment when we hear the threats and the taunts of that particular giant that we forget about the lions and bears we've killed in the past? It's amazing that, isn't it? You think that you remember your victories of the past, but we don't. Because the intimidation of the giant is such that it drowns out the victories of the past. But not for David. He says, no. He says, I remember. I remember the lion, I remember the bear well. And I defeated them both. So I have no problem with this giant. 
I'll take them on for you. You don't need to be afraid. Chill out is what we would say today. Take it easy. This giant is going to fall. And that was David's attitude. You may have used a club or a staff. You may have used a slingshot. Whatever weapon is in your hand that God gives you, it'll be enough. I, I get the feeling, uh, just reading that, I, I get the feeling that, that David, how, you ever wonder how he killed the lion and the bear? You know, when you read that again, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the father's sheep and a lion and the bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after it and struck it. Ah. I get the feeling that was a slingshot. I, I get the feeling that, that was his primary weapon. Because if you read on it, it says, and I struck it and killed it. Sorry. Went after and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, so he had stunned, he kind of stunned it, unsettled it, hit it with a slingshot. And then he ran over and it rose up against him. So he could feel its very breath on his face. I think that's when he took a big club and just whacked it between the eyes and killed it. And here he is. And he's got his primary weapon, which is a slingshot. And he's got his five smooth stones. And he's going to go after this giant. God has given us weapons to use. He's given us primary weapons. Weapons that we can use against the evil one. Weapons over warfare that are not carnal. Isn't that what the Bible says? So he tried these, cut a meal on. He says, I cannot use them. I haven't tested them. I haven't tried them. Verse 40, then he took a staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had. Sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. The man who bore the shield went before him. And the Philistine looked about and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And so the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come with me to me with sticks? <laughs> you skinny runt. With your stick in your hand. Do you think I'm a dog? And he cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. There's a couple of times he iterates that. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. 
and I will strike you and take your head from you. Now notice here how David words this. He's not taking all the claim for himself. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. But, he says, but I will strike you. So he got the balance. The Lord's going to deliver me today, but I'm going to strike you. I have something to do, but the Lord's going to help me in this. The Lord's going to give me the victory, but I have something to do. I'll be the one who'll strike you. See what he's saying? <coughs> this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Can somebody say amen to that? See the whole thing the giant wanted. Was just to have a personal battle. And if we fall into that trap. Believe me we're going to be in serious trouble. Because he's too big for us. And that's exactly how Saul looked at it. Saul looked at it purely through ordinary carnal eyes and he could see no possible way that young David, this little runt, could take on this great big monster of a giant because he had completely utterly left God out of the equation. But David was the opposite. And David believed that he would be prevailing in the name of the Lord. Do you know the giants that we face today, both personally but particularly nationally, those giants I mentioned at the start, they're threatening, they're intimidating. They say that we're going to banish your Bibles, we're going to overthrow your biblical morality, we're going to crush your Christianity, we're not going to accept your absolute truth. But you know, the church has always faced these battles, always. And the church has always won. You know, there was times it looked as if the church's light was shining very dimly. It looked as if the devil was going to snuff it out, but he couldn't. Communism, for years, and still is, one of the great persecutors of the church of Jesus Christ on the face of the earth. And the greatest communist country on earth today is China. But the greatest church on earth today is in China. In spite of all the persecution, in spite of all the threats and all the taunts and all the giants that came against that church, they are the strongest church, part of the church alive on the face of the earth. Islam is the greatest persecutor of the church of Christ on earth today. Do you think it's going to win the battle? I don't think so. Amazingly, in Iran, there's a revival in the church in Iran, the underground church. <coughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of Iranians are coming to Christ in spite of all of their threats. <laughs> because there is no giant that could stand against the church of Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. And that goes for us. There's no giant in the land that's going to defeat us. And there's no giant that's going to defeat 
you personally. As long as you believe the Lord is on your side and you're on the Lord's side, then you can defeat that giant. Take heed how you hear. Make sure you're saying, I'm not fighting this battle alone. Because you know, that's what the devil will try to make you feel, that God doesn't care. He's left you to it. You're just going to stew in it because he really doesn't care about you. And that's what he wants you to think. This is a personal thing between you and the devil. No, it isn't. <laughs> Dear help us if it was, but it isn't. This is between the devil and us and God and us. <laughs> and whenever you add God into the picture, then it's entirely different because that's where strength is going to be. And that's how we're going to win this battle. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Tony's going to come and lead us in communion. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I invite the men that are going to serve the table just to come? What a word this morning. Amen. Are you encouraged? It's how we hear. It's how we hear. This morning as we come before the table of the Lord, we celebrate what Christ has done, the champion of champions, our victor. Amen? The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We shall not fear flesh. What can man do to us? Amen? Hallelujah.